Hi guys, my name's Jason Mountford and this is The Hedge. Just me this week. It's been really good to interview some people over the last few weeks to have some different voices on the podcast, bringing you some different points of view on different topics. But this week, we're back old school. We just got me talking about some of the key issues and key news and just stuff that's going on in the world of investing and personal finance. And what I really wanted to do today is answer this question of should you invest at all-time highs. We're seeing the stock market all around the world, particularly in the US, um, just cranking through all-time highs on a regular basis. In the UK, we're a little bit off that, but we're still, the FTSE 100 has still performed very well uh, recently uh, and is still starting to get back towards the all-time high. It's not, not a million miles away. And of course, crypto markets have come off a bit lately, um, but generally speaking, they have been going on an absolute tear as well. Another big one, the other market that is at all-time highs is the property market. So today I want to cover uh, investing at all-time highs in, in, in general terms, the, the kind of general rules that apply to any asset that you're considering investing in. And then I also want to touch a little bit on each of those specific um, asset classes as well. Now, obviously some of those I'm more, um, more of an expert on than others. The stock market is obviously well in my wheelhouse when we're talking about the property market. You know, I'm not a real estate agent. I'm not a, a property analysis professional, but I've got some ideas as to um, where um, the markets could potentially be heading, some of the different ways in which a, a downturn can play out in the property market. And I'll be pulling in some statistics from some surveys and research and things that have come out about what the uh, the future, I guess, next couple of years kind of looks like for, for the property market. I also want to answer a question that I've had through from listener uh, about fees. Um, she has got a fairly sort of smaller amount of money that she's looking to invest and she's concerned that by investing, um, she may get any of her potential returns eroded away by fees. So I think that's a really good question because a good point for clarification. Before we jump into that, let's uh, do a bit of a Let's do the rounds, right? Let's do the rounds. When you have questions, if you have questions, um, please do get in touch with me. Best way to do that is go to the website, which is thehedge.io. You can find a link there to contact me, ask your questions, um, let me know what your thoughts are, let me know what's going on in your world with whether that's you know your your career, your investments. I want to know what's happening. I want to know what the burning issues are that you have in your life especially when it comes to money. Um, whilst you're on the website, you can also sign up to the newsletter, the Hedge Weekly Newsletter. It's totally free. Um, I basically give you my thoughts uh, once a week. I drop an email into your inbox that tells you, uh, I guess I pick a few interesting things that are going on in the world, whether that's news articles, whether that's products, whether that's books I'm reading, um, whether that's just funny stuff that I'm seeing on Twitter or whatever that relates to investing and business and personal finance, that sort of thing. Um, I'd really appreciate it. if you could sign up to that, check out the website. I've got some articles up there. I've got a whole bunch of stuff. And again, all of that is at thehedge.io. Um, and I would really appreciate your support in uh, getting some traffic there, getting people signing up to the, to the newsletter. So, you know, if, if you are enjoying this podcast, if you enjoy the content that I put out, then I would really appreciate it if you could share it with people. You know, if you go into your podcast app, there's a little, no matter what you use, whether it's Spotify, whether it's Apple, whether it's um, CastBox, whatever, there'll be a little button there to just share it, flick it via WhatsApp message to to your mates, to your parents, to your friends, to your family, whoever, uh, and I would be eternally grateful. That support really means I can continue to grow the show, continue to, to dedicate time to it and bring you the content that uh, hopefully is really useful to you. So into the first question for today, which is should you invest when markets are at all-time highs? Now, the first thing that I want to cover here, the first main overarching point is that when we look at the you know stock market as a whole, 
it has always come back to beat its previous highs. Now, that's the case in the US in the US at the moment. In the UK, as I said, we're slightly off the previous highs. But any time we've seen a, a massive, even kind of bubble in stock markets, if we're looking at the global stock market as a whole, obviously individual countries can, you know, collapse basically. But if we're looking at the global stock market as a whole, the market has over history always come back to beat its previous highs. Now that's not to say that one day Aliens may come down and destroy our planet and the stock market won't go back to where it was or something absolutely crazy could happen. There could be a nuclear fallout. Those things could all happen. The key thing to keep in mind is that all that the stock market is is consumerism consumerism in action. It's us spending our money on things. It's us buying groceries. It's us filling up our cars with fuel. It's us buying new shoes for our kids to go to school in. It's all that kind of stuff. It's all the the, the uh, goods and services that we use all the time. And whenever we're using goods and services, whenever we're spending money with those companies, those companies are, are making money. They're earning revenues. They're earning profits. If they are doing a shitty job and they are um, spending more than they're earning, then eventually the company will go bankrupt. And that demand, if a shoe, shump, if a shoe company goes bankrupt then all the people that were buying shoes from that company will go to another company that is better run and continue to buy their shoes from somewhere else. Or the company that the shoe company that wasn't doing a very good job would be would get bought out by another shoe company that is doing a good job. So all that you are doing when you're investing in the stock market over the long term is taking a bet that capitalism and the the world economy as we know it will continue. And I don't know about you guys, but for me, I think the chances of that not happening are pretty slim. And actually, you know, if it did if the world capitalist system fell apart and the stock market ceased to uh, exist or grow over the long term, I think we'd have a lot bigger problems than what our investment portfolio was doing. So the first thing is in a, in a broad scale, when you are buying investments, you are buying into the advancement of the human race. And that's that's really what it comes down to. You know, same with, with property investments. You know, over the long term, you are buying a property on the understanding that the population of the world will continue to increase, the wealth of the world will continue to increase and that property values will will follow that. So there's a, a big difference between looking at a very long-term view. And when I say very long-term, I mean like 10 years plus and how things may impact you on the short term. Because actually in the short term, buying at all-time highs can be a little bit painful. You know, if you if you bought um, into the US stock market in, um, in 2008, you know, it took you quite some time to get your money back. You know, it took you a number of years for that to actually recover, sort of four, three, three to five years, depending on how you how you invested. So, you know, over the short term, anything under five years, you know, investing at all time highs can be can be somewhat of a concern. But so, really, as always, really, when it comes to investments, the most important thing is looking at your investment time frame. So, if you're you've got some money, some spare money, you're looking to invest it now, you're looking to potentially put it into the stock market or potentially buy a property, asset prices are high. So if you're investing at the, under that time frame, then it's important to probably have a li- little bit more of a longer time frame than, than you would um, than you would otherwise. You know, Generally what we say when we're talking about investing into the stock market is you should have at least a three-year time frame, preferably five. And at the moment, if you're looking to invest into the stock market, um, I would I would be erring on the side of caution with that. You know, we we have seen two years of very very strong growth um, globally, but you know when we look at globally, the US the US makes up a huge portion of that. You know, this year so far, 
The S&P 500, the US stock market, is up 26.17%. Last year, it was up about 16%. That's that's pretty massive, right? And if you look at that in isolation, if you look in history, whenever you have a few years of growth like that, it's almost inevitable that at some point there will be a correction. Now, that may not be a massive correction. It may be a massive correction. We don't know. But the important point is, is that we aren't investing at times where the upside is particularly attractive. You know, it has been a period of really strong growth. So really, that's the overarching theme for investing in any asset that has gone through a period of really strong growth, and especially if it's at an all-time high, is make sure you've got a long time frame, you know, an extra long time frame, because there is every chance that over the next year or two, if you've invested at the kind of near the peak, there will be a pretty heavy correction. And that's not a problem if you're well diversified and you've invested properly. That's not necessarily a problem, um, but it does mean that you may have to put up with a portfolio that is underwater for a year, two years, five years, however long, before it actually has that time to work through the business cycle and actually recover. So kind of that's overall, regardless of the asset, let's have a look at the um, specific assets really. So we'll start with the stock market. That's that's the easy one. That's the one um, that I'm most comfortable comfortable with. And, you know, it's there's a couple of really important points. The first thing is about diversification, obviously, you know, whenever you are looking at, um, at investing into, into the stock market, especially when things have gone through a very strong period of growth, there are times where a crash, when it comes, wipes out companies. So in the dot-com bubble in the early 2000s, there were tech companies that had grown a huge amount in value over a very short space of time. The dot-com bubble came and they never recovered. That can happen if your portfolio is too concentrated across individual stocks. In 2008, we saw a number of very large banks um, disappear completely. Lehman Brothers and Bear Stearns cease to exist. Um, so if you are investing at a time where there's a lot of um, exuberance in the market, you've just got to be extra careful about the level of diversification that, you're, that, you're, that you've got in your portfolio. And I don't just mean diversification within an individual um, stocks. I mean, geographically, geographically, geographically as well. You know, like I say, the US market in particular has gone through a period of really, really strong growth. The UK has done pretty well this year, but last year was down 14% last year, the FTSE 100. So as much as it is important to diversify across different sectors, it's also important to diversify into different countries as well. And again, not just the large cap Western countries like the UK, like the US, but also, you know, Smaller caps, smaller caps are worth looking at. Emerging markets are worth looking at. The more diversification you can have in your portfolio, the wider, uh, sorry, the the, um, the narrower the the potential outcomes are, which is which is what you want. You know, you are potentially capping some of your upside when times are really good, but when we're looking at investing at markets at all time highs, that upside is is kind of capped anyway, just by fact that the fact that that things have grown so much over over recent years. So diversification is the is the is the first thing that you can do if you're looking to invest um, at all-time highs. I always say diversification, but specifically, you know, really being careful about diversification. The other one, the thing that you would really want to be doing if, if you've got a lump of money or you've got some surplus cash flow and you're looking to start investing and you're thinking, I just don't know, I just don't feel confident, I just don't feel comfortable. I would hate to put my money in and then see it crash. There's something that we do, um, which I've talked about in the past, called um, pound cost averaging or dollar cost averaging. 
And that is effectively where you don't lump all of your money into the market in one go. You put a regular amount in every month. And that's something that, that is, it makes a lot of sense to be doing that if you've got some spare cash flow anyway, because it means when prices are high, you buy less units. And when prices are low, you buy more. So you do the old buy low, um, buy low sell high automatically. It's part of the process. You buy more when the prices are cheaper, which lowers your overall price. But that's fine if you've got like a regular income surplus of a couple hundred quid a month or whatever. But if you've got a lump sum, if you've got 10 grand or 20 grand or 50 grand or a thousand pounds, whatever the amount is, if you've got a lump sum and you are worried about putting that all in and then seeing markets fall, you can do what's called a phasing approach. And a phasing approach is, is basically just like pound cost averaging or, or dollar cost averaging. The difference is, is that you're just doing it with a lump sum. So let's say you've got 10 grand, you're looking at the markets and you're thinking, shit, they perform really well. I'm really nervous. Um, rather than just lumping that all in, that 10 grand in and hoping for the best, hoping that your timing is right. What you could do is spread that money out over a certain period of time. Now, the period of time doesn't really matter. You could do it over 12 months. You could do it over six months. You could do it over two years. Um, the idea is you split the amount of money that you've got and you drip feed that into the market. Now, let's just say you decided that, you know, you think there's a fairly decent chance that we could see a bit of a correction in the next 12 months you still want to put your 10 grand and you don't want it just sitting in a bank account earning nothing when inflation is at 4%, 5%, but you, you're concerned about that. You could decide to put in um, an equal amount, so like 800-ish pounds a month to end up with your 10,000 invested at the end of the year. So 800 quid a month over 12 months would equal 9,600 pounds. So it'd be like 833 pounds, I think, would be the amount you put in every month. Now, there's a couple of things around that. Number one, it means that you are going to be pound cost averaging depending on what markets are doing. So let's say, you know, you start that process, you're putting in your, you know, your, your 833 per month and month six, we see a really big crash. That's going to mean that for month seven, that 833 you're putting in is going to be buying when the price is low. So you're going to be getting good value off that correction. You're going to be a, um, making, a, you're going to be using it to your benefit rather than seeing your portfolio fall. So if you are correct and the market does crash, it means that number one, you've not exposed all of your capital to that crash in one go. And number two, it means you've got capital available, money available, cap, that's what capital is, just another word for money. You've got money available to buy the dip, to buy when the prices are low. And you can continue to do that every month. And again, if we see, um, you know, if we see markets recover quickly, then obviously, you know, you're going to be continuing to put money as that as that grows or as it goes down. But effectively, what it will mean is, is if there is a big crash over the course of that 12 months, your average buying price will be lower than if you'd put the, the big lump sum in in one go. So you are protecting yourself on the downside. Now, the the downside of that is that if markets actually don't crash, if over that first 12 months, markets do really well, and actually it's another double-digit return year for the stock market, it means you're not, your return's not going to be quite as good because your money wouldn't have been fully invested by you know by the six-month mark, only £5,000 of your money is actually in the market. So if we get a 12-month streak of really strong growth again, then your returns aren't going to be quite so good. Now, that is a downside, but it's still going to mean you've made money. So, you know, if if markets went up 15%, for example, you know, on average, half of your money, uh, obviously it's not linear and all that, but broadly speaking, imagine it is linear. You know, if the market has done 15% in total and you're, you've been invested um, slowly over the course of the 12 months, then your, 
your return hypothetically could be around half that because you're you know only been fully invested for kind of half half the period of time if that makes sense so you know like i say it would depend on which month perform better than others and all that but you know broadly speaking you've still made money you've still made you know a decent level of return potentially it could still be above, above inflation but potentially not but you have capped your upside but that's kind of why it is a risk management strategy. It's not a return maximization strategy. So if you decide you do want to phase into the market because you're worried about markets being at, upside, at all-time highs, the reason you're doing that is to minimize your risk on the downside. You're not doing that to maximize your return on the upside. So again, it's about understanding what are your motivations to be investing in a certain way? Why are you doing something? Why are you considering a course of action? And then matching the way you're investing to that course of action. Because if you're looking just to maximize your absolute potential return, then diversification and phasing in the market is not the way to go about it. You know, Those two things are there to reduce your risk, not to increase your potential return. So moving on to the property market, property market has been again really really strong um, in the UK. The housing market is up. What I, I saw a figure today. Hold on, let me just find it. Uh, da, 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 da. I did see it today somewhere. Bear with me. Bear with me. <laughs> Where are we? Um, yeah, ten point six percent. So. The 12 months to August, the ONS, the Office of National Statistics, has released their figures the last 12 months to the end of August. The UK market is up 10.6% and the average um, the average house price in the UK is now £264,000. And that is the average. Some places like the northeast of England, the northeast has been the area where property has grown the most. It's grown 13.3%. And that's, that's really big. It's really big, especially when you're talking about property because you know properties are large chunks of money so when you when you know when it, when a property moves 10% and it's worth 260k you know that's, that's 26 grand that that's gone up by it's a lot um and even the worst performing region in the UK was still up 7.5%. So we've seen some really strong growth in property. Um, if you've been in the market for whether you know whether it's a rental or, or whether it's um, somewhere to buy, buy to let, whatever, um, you will have seen this. You'll have seen how competitive it is. Obviously, it's been driven by a number of different things. has been the working from home situation, which has meant people have got more freedom as to where they live. You know, People are moving out of cities. They're not needing to, to worry as much about the commutes they need more space, you know, especially if you've got more than one person working from home, um, working at the kitchen table has only been, uh, is only doable for so long before you, you need to make sure everyone's got a, a space where they can shut the door and, and do the Zoom Zoom calls. Um, and also the stamp duty holiday, obviously. Stamp duty holiday has brought forward a lot of demand. So a lot of people who are considering buying properties um, in 2022 or 2023 have kind of rushed rushed to get it done because they've potentially saved themselves thousands of pounds in stamp duty. Now, the irony is they're probably overpaying for the properties. So a lot of that is probably, a lot of the tax savings probably being eaten up with, with the higher purchase price I've had to pay. But nevertheless, you know, it has that that has been the situation with with property prices in the UK. So, you know, you may be in a situation where you are considering either purchasing a buy-to-let or purchasing a home for you to live in. And, you know, like I said at the outset, the, the overarching theme, regardless of the asset, is time frame. Because again, over the long term, property as a real asset should increase at least in line with inflation and probably a, a tad above inflation. That's not going to come in a straight line. And property prices can fall. And this is a 
a, a bit of a misconception because often people believe that property prices, property values can't go down, and it's just not true. It's just not as obvious when they do. But you know, if we look back, they're kind of the big, the biggest. Um, recent example, recent-ish example was in 2008. That was the global kind of property crisis. And actually, you know, prices, property prices in the UK fell 18%. Um, so, you know, if you had a, if you had a, if you had a property worth um, 100, uh, sorry, 200,000 pounds at that point, you know, it would have, would have fallen 30, it could have, could have fallen on average in the UK, it fell 36,000 pounds. That's a, again, that's a lot of money. It's a big drop. Um, so, so it can happen. I think the reason why property is often not seen as being as volatile as the stock market, and I have talked about this before, is just because it's not valued as often. The share market, companies on the stock market are valued every second of every trading day. You know, people, whenever, the only time an asset is truly valued is when it is sold or sold and bought, um, because that's what the market is prepared to pay for it. And when, if that's Tesco shares, we are getting the market price of Tesco on a second-to-second basis all day, every day. When it comes to property, we're not getting that. You know, every every house is different, every suburb is different, um, every city is different, every country is different. So whilst we get indicators, we get uh, some kind of comparisons that we can make. You don't have someone rocking up at your house every day and valuing that property every morning, depending on the weather, depending on the barking dog next door, depending on whether you've mowed your lawn. So it doesn't appear to be as volatile. What tends to happen with property is that unless you have a real economic collapse where people are forced to sell, like what happened in 2008, um, property just plateaus for a really long time. Um, And where I'm from Perth in Western Australia originally, and there's been a really good example in Perth over the last few years, and I've actually put an article up on my website, um, on the website uh, about this recently because um, property prices in Perth basically stayed flat from 2007 until 2019. You know, the, the cost of an average property was pretty much bang on the same, and that's because people don't sell properties when they're underwater on them unless they absolutely have to. And you, you may have gone through this yourself, or you may know people who have. You know, if you buy a property. It costs a lot of money to buy. It costs, you know, you pay a lot of tax on it. You pay estate agents. Um, and so you are reluctant to sell because it costs a lot of money to sell for the same reasons. You know, again, you pay estate agents, you pay advertising fees, you pay stamp duty on a new place if you if it's your own home and you're moving. So what people tend to do is they just stick it out until, until the market starts to recover. Now, bringing that back to, to where we are now and in terms of, you know, should you invest in a property at an all-time high, it depends on what, what, what you're doing it for. The time frame thing is still really, really important. And that is important whether you're buying something as a buy-to-let or whether you're considering buying somewhere to live. Let's look first at buying somewhere to live. Really, it comes down to what your long-term plans are. You know, if you are considering buying a property for, for yourselves to live in, Again, you need to look at how long you would plan to live in that. If it's like a, a step-up home where you're hoping to buy there, move in, live there for three years, and then start a family and need to find something bigger, you've got to be careful when properties are, are, are at their peak because uh, at a peak um, because it could keep going up for the next three years. It definitely could. You know, If we look at the projections that some of these real estate companies have put out, I put that in the article as well. So Savills, the estate agents, they think property prices are going to go up 3.5% next year. Then they reckon um, 
2.5, sorry, then they reckon 3% in 2023 and then another 2.5% in 2024. Zoopla, they reckon it's up 3% next year. Right move saying up 5% next year. So, you know, you buy a house now, it could go up over the next three years. That could happen. It could also stay exactly the same or it could go down. And remember, if it stays exactly the same in terms of value, you will have lost money because you've, it's cost you money in fees um, and, and, and tax to, to buy in potentially, you know, if you're a first-time buyer or not. But, you know, broadly speaking, there will be costs to move in and there'll be costs to move out in three years' time as well. So, again, you'll have to pay moving costs. You'll have to pay um, fees fees to estate agents and advertising and whatever, and then you'll probably have to pay stamp duty on the new property as well. So, if you are looking to do something um, with the expectation that you'll move again or, or sell, that, sell that asset again in a few years, you've got to be really careful. But if you're buying a property to live in, and you think that you could stay there for the long term, um, then it doesn't really matter to you what property is going to do. It doesn't really matter if you are going to go through a few years where it goes down in value because, again, over that longer period of time, over 10 years plus, you should be fine. And, you know, buying a house to live in is, uh, you know, there's a lot more to it than just um, the financial aspect. You know, obviously, there's a lifestyle aspect. There's the, you know, the personal satisfaction. There's the comfort. There's the security. There's all those other things that come with buying your own place. When it comes to buying a, potentially buying a buy-to-let, I think you've got to be really, really careful. Um, you know, I talk about this a lot. The problem with getting into an asset, but the problem with getting into buy-to-let property is it's difficult to shift it. It's illiquid. It's expensive. Um, it's... <sighs> If things start to go bad or if you're concerned about things in the stock market, you can move your money around. You can move your money from different places. You can sell a bit of it to realize some of the capital growth. You can manage the tax position over multiple years. If you buy a single big property um, and you see a big drop in value, you're stuck with it. Unless you can afford to take the hit, uh, you know, unless you can afford to refinance the mortgage, you are potentially really stuck with it. So it just, again, comes down to your own... Um, your own uh, investment time frame, how much of your net worth is going to be tied up into that single asset um, and whether you can afford to continue just letting it run if you go through a period where prices are stagnant or prices actually fall. The last asset that I want to talk about is crypto. Um, obviously, crypto is becoming much more mainstream. I keep saying this. Um, I've had some um, I've had some people coming on the show talking about Bitcoin. I've got someone else coming up over the next few weeks as well. I think it's becoming um, more intertwined with mainstream financial services. The Bank of England have been talking about it today. Um, there's a big difference between investing at all-time highs for a traditional asset class like property or like the stock market and investing in something like crypto. And the reason for that is because the, the projects that we're seeing in the crypto space are very new. And actually, whenever you've gone, whenever we've gone through bull market, sorry, bear markets um, in crypto in previous years, a huge percentage of the projects of the coins of the tokens disappear forever. So when I talk about the fact that you know over the long term assets have always come back to beat their previous high, I'm not talking about crypto. Now that ha- that is the case with Bitcoin. It is the case with the, it is the case with Ethereum so far. Um, but it's too new to make that call on crypto. Um, I'm by no means a, a naysayer. I'm open to the idea of it. I think blockchain has some incredible potential. Um, NFTs, I think, have some incredible potential. Bitcoin has some incredible potential. 
but it is still a very new asset class and you can't you can't bet on using what has happened in traditional investment assets to compare what could happen in crypto because hypothetically what we if you buy cryptocurrencies at their all-time high you could lose all the money and never ever see it again it could go to zero the tokens could be completely wiped off the face of the earth and that that money will be gone so when i talk about being careful um in, in for investing when investing in traditional assets when things are at all-time highs I'm not talking necessarily about not doing it all together. As I've said, I've talk, I'm talking about diversification, talking about potentially phasing the money in. I'm talking about making sure you have a long enough time frame if things crash imminently. When it comes to crypto, I am more cautious about that. You know, I think you've got to be really, really careful. And one of the reasons is, is like, as I just said, some of those projects, especially the smaller, the more niche ones, they could disappear completely if things crash. And that's that's a real risk. The other risk, um, even if we're talking about big mainstream cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin or Ethereum, is the risk of, of us making shitty decisions through those bear markets. You know, if we're talking about the stock market um, or the property market, you know, the, the worst case scenario for, you know, stock markets are like... I don't know, 30, 40% drop. And that will generally happen very quickly, but it will generally recover fairly quickly as well. That's really scary for investors. A lot of investors struggle with maintaining composure through drops like that. The difference is that cryptocurrency, that's that's just a fucking normal week in cryptocurrency. Um, you know, if we look at Bitcoin's biggest drawdown, Bitcoin has dropped 80 plus percent. Um, at one point, it, it dropped, I think, 98% over the course of 12 months. So the biggest risk you have with drawdowns like that is is our own investor behavior. You know, f- you have to have a massive amount of conviction to hold an investment that is down 70 plus percent and stays down 70 plus percent for month over month over month. And so from my perspective, you know, anybody who's listening to this um, who is prepared to hold Let's use Bitcoin as the example. Anyone who is listening to this, who is prepared to hold Bitcoin when it's down 70% and it stays down 70% for six months, doesn't need me to tell them anything because they are absolutely, they have absolutely stone hard conviction that Bitcoin is a fantastic long-term hold. And it doesn't really matter what the price does because they, they, they genuinely believe it. They genuinely will not have their minds changed about it. You know, for other people who are maybe not so sure, then crypto is probably one of those areas where you, you, you would, you know, you'd probably do well to stay away or be more wary of investing in that at all-time highs um, for solely that reason. If you're not 100% convict, if you don't have 100% conviction about it, if you don't understand enough to really get what you're investing in, to really um, see a potential future for it, then you're probably not going to be able to hold through those those really strong draw- drawdowns. So if you're Somebody again, if who has a pot of money, you're looking at what to invest in. You know, if you want to invest in cryptocurrency, do it. It's your own money. You, you know, you have you have free will to invest the money however you want. But I would just be really wary. Um, the, the rules are the same. You know, you have a long enough time frame. Understand the risks. But when I say understand the risk with crypto, I really mean understand the risk. You know, could you stare down the barrel of having an 85% paper loss? And still feel comfortable that you think things will come back because the truth is that nobody knows whether they whether they would or 
whether they wouldn't. Okay, realize I have talked for half an hour straight there and I've not answered the question that I've had from Jess. So that's what I'm going to do now. The last thing we'll finish off with today is, is this question because I think it's worth it's worth covering um, because Jess has, um, she's considering to uh, considering investing a thousand pounds. Her concern is if she invests, is it worthwhile given the fees she has to pay? And it's a really good question because often fees can be a little bit opaque. It can be hard to understand um, what you're charged and whether it is worthwhile. Now, the first thing that is is worth uh, explaining is that the uh, the way that fees are generally charged, or the way that you know there are lots of platforms out there that will charge fees that are percentage based, and there are also platforms that actually don't charge any trading fees. Also, now. We'll talk about the first one first. So mainstream platforms like large traditional platforms will generally charge an ongoing fee um, an ongoing fee for, for the investment management, depending on the fund that you choose. And then there will often be a, a purchase, a cost to purchase the investment as well. Now that um, purchase cost can be a fixed cost. So it can be a fi- fixed trading cost of like nine quid or whatever, or it can be a percentage-based kind of buy-sell spread type thing. Now, if you're investing a small amount of money and you're investing in a traditional platform like that, one of the things you should really be um, looking at very carefully is whether there are any fixed fixed costs for that platform. So basically what I mean by that is you want to make sure that all of the fees that are charged are percentage-based fees. And the, the reason for that is because that way it doesn't matter if you're investing a million quid or a thousand quid the fees are going to be relatively the same. Now, there's probably going to be a sliding scale where the, the more money that you're investing, the lower the percentage fee. But broadly speaking, it will mean that you're not going to be paying a ridiculous amount of money to facilitate an investment for a, for a relatively small amount of money. So um, if you invest in that way, um, there is still going to be the benefit of investing. You know what? You are going to pay fees, but it's not like you're going to pay 100 quid in investment fees in order to get a return of, of 50 quid. You know, it is still going to be worthwhile. So that's if you're looking at a traditional uh, investment platform like Hargreaves Lansdowne or Vanguard or something like that. Most of those will have percentage-based options or, or fixed costs that are that are manageable. But like I say, percentage is, is really where you want to be at. And that's something you should really be comparing. Now, with that said, that on the UK market and, you know, most, most places, that there are lots of trading apps and platforms that actually... Um, don't charge you a fee at all. Now they usually they make their money in other ways, whether that's selling your data, whether that is um, whether that is the spreads on the the the, um, the the prices that they offer those those investments um, to to you for. The catch with those sorts of platforms is that generally speaking, the investments have to be listed. Um, so what I mean by that is traditional managed funds often you can't buy through. Buy through buy through those apps. Um, that's not the end of the world. That you know what you want to be researching. If that is you, if that is your circumstances, is exchange traded funds. So exchange traded funds allow you to still have massive amounts of diversification. They still allow you to have professional investment management, um, whether that's uh, you know tracker, passive investment management, or active. Um, but it allows you to buy and sell those holdings as as you would a share. So exactly the same way. So, the 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 short answer to that question is that yes, it is still invest worth investing regardless of how small the pot is that you have to begin with. It's just really important to to make sure that your um, the app or the platform or the the broker that you choose has fees that aren't going to whittle away too much of your investment.
So that's a really good question, Jess. Thank you very much for sending that through. So as usual, guys, the episodes with just me, I'm going to try to keep them down to around about 30 minutes. There's only so long you can you can listen to me waffling on. I hope that has been I hope that's been useful. You know, it's all about managing your downside risk, thinking about what your long-term plans are, and then making sure that the, the worst case scenario investment strategy still lets you reach those goals. That eventually uh, effectively that's that's what it always comes down to. And if you're going to invest in something, look at what the worst case scenario is, you know, what if you invested all of your money into a certain thing and it fell as much as it has ever fallen in history the next week, how would that impact your long-term plans? Because that's the whole point of the money. The whole point of it is to help you reach your your life goals, help you do the things you want to do, help you live the life you want to live, help you, you know, facilitate a life that makes you feel fulfilled and satisfied. So if your money is going to potentially detract from that, then you're probably not investing in the right way. I hope you've enjoyed this week's episode, guys. I hope that's been useful to you. Um, I would be really keen to get your thoughts as always. If you have questions that you would like answered, the best way to get hold of me, the best way to sign up to the newsletter, the best way to find the rest of the content that I am putting out there is to go to the website, The Hedge. Io. Um, and I would also really appreciate it as always. I want to keep asking this um, if you could leave a, a review on the Apple Store or the Apple Podcast app, I should say. Um, if you could drop me five stars there, that really helps with the rankings and helps to grow the show. Um, and, you know, the kind of more kudos, the more downloads, the more. Um, the more exposure that the show gets, um, the more guests I can bring on. I can bring on high profile guests. I can get people on who are really going to provide a lot of value to you. So as always, I really appreciate the support guys and I look forward to speaking to you next week.